Hey everybody, it's uh, it's Paul Carruthers from Moto America, and this is Off Track, our weekly podcast. And I'm joined today by my cohort in Ohio, Sean Bice, and our special guest today is uh, the one and only Bobby Fong. So, uh, talk to me a little bit there, Sean. How how's things going for you today? You know, it's been pretty good. I, I, I've been enjoying uh, reading the comments from our what I called best week ever with all of our TV package announcements. And then, you know, we got a chance to talk to Richard Varner that filled in some of the blanks for people. And it's funny, people still have questions, but, uh, you know, it'll all, it'll all make sense. But I mean, basically, we have so many different options for people to watch our racing. And the fact that we're going to be on every week that it's it's pretty awesome that I'm really looking forward to the season. I'm sure you are, too. Yeah, the comments are, um, you know, like you said, there's 95% positive and, and the other 5% are just, I don't know what to do with these people. It's like, <laughs> you know, other than, you know, I think I'm going to have to find out who they are and I think I have to drive to their house and I have to, you know, grab their remote and I have to show them how to do the thing and maybe get them a cocktail and bring it to their, their couch and then maybe they'll figure out how to watch it. But I also think there should be like, um, I don't know. I don't know. This is probably not politically correct in any way, shape or form, but it's like, I think there needs to be different levels of Facebook based on your IQ. Like <laughs> it could kind of like be, it could kind of be like English premier league soccer. Like you say X amount of dumb comments and you get dropped down to like, you know, remedial <laughs> Facebook. And then you actually have to say something intelligent to get back up to regular Facebook. Because some of the people I read that I read their comments and I'm like, what planet are you even on? Like, how can you not understand how this works? But yeah, it does. It anyways. does. It does make you lose. It does make you lose faith in humanity a little bit. But the nice thing is that, you know, the some of the fans, a lot of the fans have our backs and we don't have to respond because somebody will turn out saying, dude, did you even read the article? It's all in there. So, so I'm always happy when somebody comes to our rescue. No, I think it's a lot better for somebody else to defend us other than instead of us yeah. defending ourselves. And and plus, if you and I started doing it, you know, it'd be World War Three, and and we'd both <laughs> lose our jobs, and we'd be doing another podcast that entirely nobody would listen to. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing uh, about that right there. Uh, yeah. Hey, so so Paul, you know, it's 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 weird with us with uh, you know. Daytona, I know for you, it's kind of a rite of spring for you uh, when you work at, worked at Cycle News to always go to uh, uh, Daytona in, in the spring. And I mean, you went for obviously road racing and uh, Supercross back in the day. Um, and boy, a lot of our riders in Moto America are going to be competing in that 200 this year. But, you know, people still ask, they're like, uh, hey, you know, why don't, why doesn't Moto America go there? And you know, it seems obvious why we don't, but they still wonder why we don't go to Loudoun too, which is kind of strange, or even Mid Ohio. But I thought it'd be interesting to kind of discuss that a little bit because you know we 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 don't we like Daytona, we we love the 200, we know it's an iconic race, and we're excited about our riders being in it. But you know, can you talk a little bit about you know what it was like for you to go there and and kind of why we don't now and that whole thing? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it that place is always. It's I, it's kind of a love hate relationship with Daytona. You know, I always I always look forward to going there at Cycle News because it was like the start of the season, and it was always I, I liked it. A, I really liked it a lot more when the Supercross and everything were kind of the same weekend. Now I know it's separated by a week with the Supercross and, and with the Daytona 200. But uh, I just I I just liked it because you know it was like everybody going back to school, and uh, yeah. you got to see everybody again. 
And like I said, there was this like, you know, there was dirt track and there was supercross and there was the road race. It was just like a big, it was a, it was a big happening of, of stuff. And also you got to remember that that's the first motorcycle race I ever went to in the United States as a kid. You know, my dad oh, got wow. a chance to, my dad got a chance to race uh, Don Vesco's 250 there. Um, we ended up going back to Europe after that, but he came to, uh, he came to Daytona in 1970, I guess it was. We came as a family and, and he won the 250 race and, and, and then we went back to Europe to do another season of Grand Prix racing. But from that race, Don Vesco said, hey, look, if you ever want to come back and race in the U.S., I'll, I'll have something for you. And, that, and, and at the end of that 1970 season, when my dad finished second in the world championship, that's when he decided that we'd give this America thing a try. And of course, That's we were cool. supposed to come for we were supposed to come for a few races and then go back to Australia. And as you can tell, we we never did. So yeah, it's funny they funny that they went on and later on called that class two hundred and fifty GP. But back in those days, they did call it international lightweight, which is interesting that it was an international group of riders that came, including your dad. Well, yeah, back then, I mean, and for a long time after that, it was uh, that race really was an international field. That you know the two hundred and and the 250 race and yeah it was it was uh it was really cool because you know you i mean look if you look at the people who have won that that race i mean it's an impressive it it goes from mike halewood and jack magastini all the way through to kenny roberts and eddie law i mean it's just like and 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 of course our boss wayne won the thing so it's it in a way it's uh it's kind of bittersweet that we don't go there but i mean the reasons that we don't are fairly obvious i mean our premier class is superbike and there's just really no safe way i don't believe of of racing a superbike at, at daytona anymore you know there's some creative things you could do i guess with with shorter races and things like that but i, I don't see that you could you definitely couldn't do a 200 mile race on uh on superbikes anymore and and i know that you know it's the daytona 200 for a reason i mean you're not going to suddenly make it the daytona 25 or the daytona 50 right right so there's some so there there there's that um, and I think that's, you know, I, I'm sure that's the, the, that's probably the main reason why we, we don't get to go is because of that, um, you know, the superbike thing. Well, it's funny too, because, you know, Dunlop every year, the tires get better and better all the time, but you know, the bikes get better and better. They get faster. So, uh, you know, it isn't like to the point where the tires can handle that, or even if they could, you know, that those, uh, those high banks and those walls are, are pretty imposing. There's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it, let's face it, it wasn't necessarily made to race uh, motorcycles on. They used to race on the beach and then they brought it over there. But it was a, it's, a, it's a super speedway for cars, hence those walls and everything. So, you know, it is kind of tough to adapt it that way uh, and, and make it safe for motorcycles. Whereas where everywhere else we go, you know, there's good runoff and there aren't walls that are right next to you along the way. So it's, it's kind of obvious, but you know, it is, it is a bit of a shame because it's, it was such a big deal, you know, back in the day as, as we say a lot, um, and, and still is, and it's cool. And, and I, I know I'm going to watch it. I'm sure you will too. And I'm very excited about the fact that they, a lot of our riders are going to be racing in and including, you know, Bobby Fong, who, um, we're going to be talking to today. So that's, that's very cool. Yeah, I'll be watching for sure because we've got, you know, we've got Kyle Wyman. We've got a bunch of, Mo- a bunch of Moto America guys racing that event and, uh, I'll definitely 100% tune in. But, you know, if you talk to any of those guys that race super bikes on the high banks, I mean, it, and you get them talking about it, it, it you can tell that it, it was a scary thing. I mean, not only would they ride those bikes at high speeds with a wall 
you know, not very far away, but the bikes are actually so powerful that they're spinning up on that banking. And I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it could be a recipe for disaster as far as racing super bikes there. So I'm kind of glad that, uh, that we stay away. Although like we talked about a few minutes ago, the, it, it always kind of makes me miss it because I spent so much of my time there and so many years. I, I, I only ever missed one from from when I started at Cycle News to in in 1985, I only missed one, and that was my daughter was born on the Sunday of the 200 in 1989. <laughs> and other than that, I never I never missed one. And you know, it did, in addition to all the times I was there, you know, as a kid when I wasn't working. So it's yeah, it's definitely a it's definitely something I kind of miss. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Have you? Did you ever go out uh, a few years ago? I went out with Josh Hayes, and we we went out to one of the banks, and we we actually like walked up it, and it's nearly impossible to do. I'm I'm sure you've done it before, right? You've gone right out there to see what it's yeah, like. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy because you don't. It's it's just you just don't realize how steep it is until you're out there. And I think well, I'm I know like uh, Monza in Italy. I don't know if you if you've ever seen that. Yeah, but they, they I have. have. They had it's a, got an, yeah. they had banking. And it's even yep. steeper, you know, it's like really steep. Like the, it's, you know, it's almost like a, like a, you know, that wall of death that we had at a couple of our events last year. I mean, it's almost <laughs> to the point where it's like that. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it like there's a spot at Monza where you kind of like go through some trees and you can go over to that other part where it's there and it's still, the banking is still there, but a lot of, there's grass growing in the cracks and things like that, but they don't use that anymore. Correct. That part yeah, of the track. Yeah, exactly right. You kind of have to go on a little <laughs> hike and, you know, you're going through greenery and stuff. And then you, you come on with this, like an amazing piece of racing history. And you're right. There's, there's grass growing through and there's trees everywhere. And it's kind of got that like Indiana Jones type feel when you finally make it over there. But it's, it, it's very cool to look at. That's also, that's funny because I think Mons is where I used to steal Coca Cola's when I was a kid. I always, it always <laughs> reminds me of that day. <laughs> it's it's a bad story and I probably shouldn't tell it but Oh they, no, you got to tell would, it. I know this they, one. You got to tell this one. <laughs> they they would have they they would have uh you know a Coca-Cola stand there and I mean back then as you as you would know it's like glass bottles of Coke. I mean that wasn't cans right. or all this other stuff they have now. But they would have this Coke thing set up and when at night when the Coke guy would leave, you know some of the riders, I won't name any names, but they would take me over there and I was small enough where I could actually like squeeze under the the fence that's that 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 uh kept the place safe and i could squeeze <laughs> under there and start handing bottles of coke back but uh not something i'm particularly <laughs> proud of but i thought it was worth talking about <laughs> well you had to you had to use your mad skills even back then to do stuff i guess so. <laughs> yeah i don't know that's, if, that's if, pretty if, good yeah, if just being small is a mad skill but i'll take it <laughs> it works it works well for sitting in airplanes and it works well for stealing cokes i guess Absolutely. That's right. I don't even know if Bobby Funk's probably ever drank a Coke in his day. He's such a fit rider all the time that, you know, these guys today don't even go anywhere near that stuff like they used to back in the day. I mean, I'm, I assume you're talking about you'd, you'd get Cokes for riders, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Coke was a big deal. You know, it's like right. it was like a it, it was a it's basically a luxury item to us, you know, because, <laughs> you know, no, and nobody was making a ton of money. And I'm and I'm pretty sure Coke wasn't cheap even back then. So, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the, back then, I mean, you you know, you got to remember there 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 was probably I mean, I don't remember exactly, but I guarantee most of the paddock probably smoked cigarettes. Oh, it was crazy back how they they used to do that. You'd you'd see them, and it's it's kind of weird because you know tobacco sponsorship obviously was such a big deal. 
Uh, and I think I've told you this before. You know, I was such a huge fan of those Marlboro teams that when I see a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, I don't even think of smoking. I think of the motorcycles. But those guys would get, I'm sure, unlimited cigarettes because they were sponsored by the companies, right? Was that kind of the case? At, yeah, I'm talking someone? about before. I'm talking about before the uh, yeah, the yeah, way before that. Around. I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about like '60s and early '70s with you know just <laughs> just. <laughs> They're just smoking cigarettes. I mean, you can look back at TV back then too, and it's like every movie you watch, you know, Cary Grant smoking and and all yeah. that stuff. So it was it was a different time, and obviously the and one th one thing that's kind of amazing is my my father never and my mom or dad never smoked. Um, wow. So and and that was a rarity, you know, back then. So, but yeah, yeah it was I, pretty I Bobby prevalent. Fong, I Bobby Fong looks like he smokes. That's why he keeps so skinny. But I know he doesn't. He's a very fit guy. <laughs> It's kind of cool right now. We can talk about him, and, and he, you know, he can't say anything because he's got to wait for us to introduce him. But wait, waiting in the green and, room while we rip him. <laughs> so. Yeah, but uh, no, Bobby's uh, Bobby's really fit. I, you know, I think there's a lot of guys in our paddock that are fit, but uh, he definitely ranks up there at the top of him. I've I've cycled with him and ran with him, and he's he's a really good runner and and uh, and cyclist. So. Let's, well, it's uh, funny, you know. Let's... Well, one other thing I want to say about him, Paul, real quick, is when they when they announced his his new ride with M4, you saw the photo. He claims it's one of those things where you know it's almost like a selfie where the photo the camera's above him. It makes him look like he's so small. He goes, "Oh, believe me, that's not that's not the cameras." But I'm not I'm not so entirely sure. I think he I think he's pretty pretty much in race shape for this year for sure. So. Well, I saw when I saw the photo, I texted him right away. I'm like, dude, that's the skinniest <laughs> I've ever seen you. And then he told me the same thing. Oh, you know, it's the camera, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I thought he was, I, I didn't know if he was, uh, if he was in a POW camp in Vietnam or what they'd done with him, but he, he was like, oh man. So I, let's just say that's fitness. And if, if he, you know, he, he, he's already a small fit guy. So if he's even fitter, right. At least, at least he's not going to get tired in those races. So, should we bring <laughs> him in, right. or should we just yeah. make him? Should we bring him in, or make him flop around? I think we've probably kept the suspense going for him long enough. And knowing him, he's a high energy guy. He probably can't. It's, it's chomping at the bit to get in here. So let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's have a chat with Bobby Fong. How's it going, girls? I'm doing good. I'm. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's good to hear from you Where guys. Where are Man, you? It's been all winter. I'm in. I know I'm in it's Santa sad, Rosa, right? Actually. Uh, you're in Santa Rosa, Rosa okay. California. And yeah. you're there yeah, for work. Yeah, so Say that again? What are you there for? Uh, we're doing a super Santa camp Rosa. here. We got a, yeah, we're doing American super camp. So I'm uh, here with Danny Walker and Gagne and Peterson and Uribe and the whole group. Today's just set up day. So we're just uh, hanging out, playing around on the track. We set up everything. So just kind of uh, messing around the TTRs for a while. and. Um, Getting some training. Are you still working off? Are you still working off crash damage from last year for Danny? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, believe it or believe it or not, man, I I lost my day job, so I had to call Danny. I called Danny and I came in. I lost my day job. Can you uh, can you help a brother out? And uh, here I am in Santa Rosa doing my whole next month is uh, is definitely booked with the super camps and the Daytona 200 and testing what M4. So I got a pretty busy schedule from here on out. You know, it's funny, Bobby, I was going to, Bobby, I was going to ask you about that because one of the things Paul and I said when we 
heard about you uh, getting the, the job with M4 is we knew you had that other job. And then when you said you're in Santa Rosa with Supercamp, I knew they didn't ride those vehicles that you worked for <laughs> before. So I didn't know that you weren't doing that as well. That makes it a little clearer then. I'm glad I understand that. Yeah, so I was I was working I was doing the day job with Piaggio, you know, and uh it was all it was everything was okay. Uh they were okay with uh, me racing and a different brand than what I worked for and as soon as a press release came out, all hell broke loose and uh Italy was not happy with me riding a Wow. And, I, and I'm like, "Hey man, I'm not an ambassador for you guys. I'm just a sales manager for my region." And they're like, "We don't care. We don't care. You're done." And then it was like, "What then like a Wow. Day, yeah, the, the press release, really, they got so much heat from the press release from all, like, dealers, the uh, Aprilia dealers and Moto Guzzi dealers around the U.S. that I was riding a Suzuki, and everybody went, went AWOL, so I got clipped that day. So here I am, uh, back to full-time being a professional motorcycle racer, which I'm, I'm happy about, man. Honestly, the day job yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, having a, having a real job is, is only when you don't have a racing job. No, exactly. I mean, that's how I was looking at the end of the last season. There wasn't, there much out. There's not much out there, and you know, it, rumor was Danny wasn't going to continue uh, for the season. So I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to get a day job and see what happens. And I, I was still training every day, you know, still working and training every day, and still riding dirt bikes. And I called Ulrich because I knew that there was a spot open. I'm like, John, can we make this happen? Like, there's like clear as day, like. It, We've been talking, John and I have been talking for like, I don't know, nine years, every single off season, almost seriously. And we always try to continue to work. You know, it's, it's always gets really close. And then like either somebody comes with money or somebody comes, you know, backing behind them or the situation wasn't always right. So I finally, I called him and I was, I was just like, so after nine years, you're just kind of being super straightforward. You're like, Hey, John, can we make this happen or not? You know, <laughs> and it was like, and we made it work. And, and it was, he was like, you know what? I think this is the year, Bobby. And I'm like, God, thank, thank you so much. I was so thankful. And then, uh, you know, I, I was still planning to do the day job, but, um, you know, here I am training uh, extra hard now, now that I don't have a day job. You know, Bobby, it's funny because earlier this week I was talking with Andrew Lee's dad, Eddie, who I, I'm sure you probably know Eddie, don't you? Do you know? Yeah, he's, you know a, him? he's a good guy. Good guy, yeah. Yeah, he, he's a really good guy. And he, he impressed upon me something that I knew, but I never really thought about it, that, you know, in our paddock, in our series, and actually you can extend it to almost worldwide professional motorcycle road racing, it's amazing how few riders kind of do it for a living, like that's their contract. Most professional road racers have other jobs. Wouldn't you say that's true? I mean, realistically, I don't know anybody who has who has a day job <laughs> I mean, to tell you the truth i mean really I mean, top top level riders in superbike i mean name somebody that has a day job i mean i really don't know anybody yeah well, i mean I, mind. I mean i i might say <laughs> maybe not maybe not completely superbike but i know stock 1000 andrew works for the company uh that uh armory company that um he has for a sponsor i think i think that's what his job is but um, there are a few, but they're not, not a, a ton of them. I mean, heck, you know, Dave Anthony, I guess he's got his own thing going on elsewhere. Um, Max Flinders, uh, you know, I, I know what you're saying. The top riders don't, but haven't you gone years where you've raced and you've also had a quote day job? Yeah. No, never well, had a job. Well, no, <laughs> 
I, let me rephrase this. So when in 2011, I didn't have a ride. I, I got it. I was doing commercial doors where you would install commercial doors, and the company was called RNS. So I and I did a lot of fabricating work and all that stuff. That was in 2011. I didn't have a ride, but then leading into 20 or uh, 2012, I still continued the job and race at Mean Motorsports. But I didn't do both at the same time uh, for long after the season started. So it was. Uh, yeah, there's not many people I know who have a day job. Well, I mean, you got to have the luxury of like either your family owns a business and you could just work for them and just casually come and go and still make good money. Um, or you, your boss is super cool and just let you take off time off work with training and all that stuff. It's almost uh, the the rep job that I was doing. It was kind of like a, a dream come true because it was like most of my work is on the computer and I can train and make my own schedule. And it was, it was a pretty sweet. They took care of me and it was a pretty sweet gig. There's not many people who have that, you know, that luxury of that type of job where they can do both, um, unfortunately. So, come on, you guys are, you guys are, uh, you got to make the the series happen. You know, you got to bring some more money where we, we don't have to find these jobs, Sean. No, you're exactly right. I feel bad when anybody has to do actual <laughs> physical or mental labor at this point. So I mean, let's, right, let's talk. About, at least it's better than digging holes. Digging holes for for a living is well, definitely not, yeah. not okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true, especially at a cemetery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about racing a little bit. Um, was, I mean, last year was a rough year, to, to put it mildly for you. Um, you finished eleventh in the Superbike Championship. Go ahead. Worst season of worst season I've ever had in my career. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, it, it, it was yeah. it was it was rough looking at it from the outside. I can imagine what it was like on the inside. So, would you would say it was the worst one you've had, huh? Oh, by by far, for sure. I mean, it was it, it is what it is, and people have those years, you know. And it wasn't. I'm not blaming anybody. It's just the situation. That's how it. That's how it happened. Um, but you know, I'm I'm thankful for Danny Walker for um, helping me out actually three quarters away through the season uh, to get me to get keep my career going and get me on that Honda and do the best we could on that Honda. Everybody knows, you know, the, the Honda was in, uh, it was a good bike, but, uh, you know, it was, it still had something to prove and we're, we're doing our best to keep it in the, the top five, top three or top five in superbike class. But, um, that project is no longer going on, but definitely it was a, it was, a, it was a rough, rough season, but I stayed positive throughout the whole thing. And, uh, you know, here I am, here I am, uh, today with, the uh, another good ride and i'm definitely thankful for that yeah and you've kind of gone full circle because you started you started with us in 2015 on supersport and now we've spun back around in in 2019 and you're back on supersport so is that is that a class that you uh, i mean you've done superbike you've done superstock 1000 uh are you excited to get back to supersport do you think it gives you a real chance to to win races you know, as much as I really want to be in the superbike class, um, you know, riding with the best guys, I mean, we have we got good guys in super sport too. You know, um, I believe, you know, I I definitely like to be in superbike, but the the circumstances is I'm in super sport, and I think honestly, it's the best to win in superbike. Um, unless it's a rain race, you got to be in a factory team, and that's plain and simple. I mean, a factory team or semi factory team. You know, and, uh, you know, the, the chances of being on a factory team these days with how many riders there are for rides, it's nearly impossible. So, uh, 
the best chance I have now is uh, in the Super Sport class with the with the great team, uh, you know, Hammer, and their winning team. So I think this honestly could revamp my career and get me back to uh, my winning ways. I don't mean to sound cocky, but um, you know, I believe I belong in the top three, and it's definitely frustrating for a rider knowing that you're a top three top three rider, but yet you're battling for fifth through tenth just because the equipment is not on par with factories or for whatever reason. So it's, uh, that's frustrating, but I think this is definitely could, uh, revamp my career and keep me going for the long haul. And now I gotta, now I gotta say, I gotta fight for a championship instead of fifth place. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's what, a good, it's you... a good, trust me, it's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be new motivation. Ridden, it's a new motivation. You've written, you've ridden a wide variety of motorcycles. Have you ridden a Suzuki? Yeah, I started my career on the. I started the my road race in the AMA career on a Suzuki with safety first. Uh, I don't even think the bike has changed, honestly. It was two thousand and <laughs> uh, it was two thousand and seven and eight. So um, yeah, honestly, it was a good bike then, and it's even a better bike now for how many years it has a development, especially from Team Hammer that they they won on that thing every single year, won races, and I you know I haven't tested with them yet, but. I can't imagine how much data they have on that bike and development. So I'm pretty excited uh, just knowing for how much knowledge they have behind them on that bike. Yeah, they're a really solid team, and I, you know they definitely know what they're doing there. Hey, let's go back a little bit to the beginning of your career. Um, I think you started at Laguna Seca. I'm not completely sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that's when I first remember you. When was that, and, and what exactly was your, were you riding at that point? We were, I was riding an R6. It was 2006. I was 15 years old and lied about my age, and then we did that. We did Laguna Seca. <laughs> so did you do Super Sport or Formula Extreme? We did both. We did both. That, yeah, we did both that weekend. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was honestly, I remember it was literally hotter than hell that weekend, too. It was It, it was the hot, It was like record-breaking temperatures. Remember that? Were you guys there? Well, both of you guys were there, I'm sure. It was like, I felt like it was 110 sure degrees that weekend. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous, but. Uh, and then the following season, that's when I was in safety first, 2010. Thanks for bringing back bad old memories. So, Bobby, we talked about uh, 2006 when you had your pro debut at Laguna Seca when you were, I guess, a little bit underage. Uh, had a full year in 2007. But let's talk about the, the the year that you had your breakthrough win, 2010. And it was on a brand that isn't as uh, prevalent in our paddock as it used to be. Um, tell us about that 2010 that it was a VIR, I believe. And, uh, this summer, I think I called you by that brand as your last name. Do you remember when I said that? So <laughs> tell, tell, tell us about that and then I'll, I'll pick up on that. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, that, that year was, uh, it was crazy. We started out literally as nothing in the, on the Ducati, the first race that was, uh, Daytona. There was like the night race and I never even tested on the bike, just rode it there and, the first race I'm in my mind I remember thinking I'm like man I I don't think we're gonna do anything at all on this bike this year and uh we just kept on developing it developing it and then we came to VIR I qualified third row and uh I remember in the race uh, after a few laps I was battling for battling for a podium I'm like oh man we could win this thing and I remember the last lap last turn Cardenas looked back and I was right behind him and it just I right then and there, I popped out of the draft and got by him. It was the closest finish, uh, finish in history. But after that race, you know, we, we ended up getting the win for that race. But after that race, it just built so much confidence knowing that 
I could be up front. And that's when it all, that's when it all started. And just knowing that I was a top level rider because before that I was just battling for, you know, fifth through 10th. And then, uh, and we had a string of podiums after that and it was the confidence booster and knowing that the Ducati was capable, I was capable and just the, just the, yeah, the main thing was just mental confidence is obviously, as you know. It was truly like a breakthrough for you. And like I had mentioned to you this summer, I used to call you Bobby Ducati because of that winner, uh, that win at VIR. Now, I, with, with all respect to uh, Chris Ulrich and John, I'm now going to call you Bobby Suzuki. But um, I, do, I do remember that 2010 season and that win. Was that a 748 or an 848 that you were on? Do you remember? It was an 848. 848. Okay. Yeah. 848. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, and then you yeah. then you raced then you raced for Triumph for a little while. So you you've been all over the place with brands. Yeah, well, in two thousand after two thousand ten two thousand eleven, I didn't have a ride, um, and then two thousand twelve, I was at Mead Motorsports, and then in thirteen, I did the Triple Crown with one uh, like one race with them, and then they folded right after that, and then uh, and then I finished the season with Triumph uh, with D and D Cycles. And that was 2013, and then I went with latest. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, D and D cycles, the infamous Robbie Bobby McClendon, uh, Bobby Fong. That's interesting. You had a couple of you had a, a Robbie and a Bobby. Is that how he became Robbie Bobby? Because he, you no, worked no. with him. Is that <laughs> he was he was the infamous Robbie Bobby long before I long before I showed up. But he's definitely <laughs> a character, and uh, he he saved me in 2013 and put a program together that didn't even exist to uh, keep me racing. Oh, we got on the Daytona sport bike podium too with it. So that was awesome. That's cool. Yeah. And then, then 14, um, uh, tell us 14 about 14. ended up being with, uh, George latest. And then I was with, um, there you go. I was him, with him on triumph for 14, 15 and then 16. We ended up going on the Cowie 16 and 17. So I was with latest for a total of four. Look, we talked about your, we talked about your worst years. What what was your best year? Because I mean, sixteen and seventeen were were both pretty good. Uh, six. Uh, honestly, fifteen was great too. I mean, I got multiple podiums, got a few wins out of fifteen. That's and, true. Um, fourteen, I even had some wins too. Honestly, and then uh, and then uh, the most wins I ever got was twenty seventeen on the Kawasaki and the the Superstock class, and then uh. A good year ended up being a bad year, but that's a part of racing. You can't win them all. And uh, and then, yeah, 17 was probably my best year out of the, the most wins I've ever got in a season. Wait, that was a great bike for you too, Bobby. I mean, man, that thing had some steam. I'm not trying to take away any of your racecraft or ability to ride a motorcycle, but that, that motorcycle was, was pretty incredible for a, considered to be a stock uh, super stock bike and you know it was a super bike level of performance you were getting out of it so that was something yeah no i was uh it was i had a solid crew and um uh, we did the best of what we what we had and we made uh for how much power we uh we, we got out of that bike it, we, we made it handle real well too with uh, the k-tech suspension we ran that year and my crew and robert ward we all we were all a good tight crew and um it's a shame to see that program go away but uh, on to uh, better things, hopefully, this year. It was yeah, actually, tell us about if this. You, if you look back at it, I'm just going to jump on Sean and keep him quiet. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yep, yep. If, you, if, if you look back at it, I mean, you were kind of the poster child for us for, for Moto America as far as Superstock 1000 goes because, you yep. know, you, you, you proved pretty much right away, like, hey, this, 
you know, you can get on the, on a super bike podium on these bikes. And we rode that thing. I mean, we, we, we talked to teams about it and I, and I think we used you guys and said, look, look at what these guys have done. Look what these guys are able to do. And I think that's almost why we've gotten the, the superbike class to where it is today, where we've gotten some teams to, you know, to move from, from a stock thousand to full superbike because we were able to, sh you know, you were, you guys were able to show what you could actually do on a, with a good program. So thanks for that. Well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it helped you guys because it definitely didn't help me because I didn't have a ride. <laughs> that, so <laughs> oh, that's that program funny. vanished right after I did all that. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, would, uh, <laughs> It was it was great to have George in the paddock, though. I mean, I hope he comes back someday. But let, let's talk about this year. And and you know, you're 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 with a solid team. I mean, M4 team, Hammer, that whole team is fantastic, and it's terrific that you're going to be with them um, and and be back in Supersport again. And I think you're obviously going to be one of the front runners in that class. And it's pretty a pretty stacked class this year. So tell us about how that all came together and how you're feeling about your chances this year. Yeah, it came to, it came together. Uh quite fast like i said uh, in the beginning of the conversation i uh i just called john out of the blue and said hey can we make this work and he was you know he was it was pretty short and sweet and he was like you know what i think this could work and we were kind of discussing the situation after that after he said he thinks it could work for like a month or so and i finally got the news uh because they were waiting on suzuki that i could be a part of the team and i was uh, hell, I was ecstatic because I've never been on a existing winning team before. I've been on a lot of teams, but the team wasn't an existing winning team, you know? So I've never been on a team where it's like, you know, they come straight from winning on that motorcycle, particular motorcycle. So that was exciting. And I believe my chances are good. You know, I I, I heard the bike is even better this year than last year, and they, they're still finding stuff. Uh, so I think and it has so much development on that. G6R 600. I think we're going to be pretty competitive, and there might be some uh, the, some young bucks that might surprise uh, surprise uh, some of us up front this year. I think you know there's a lot of younger, faster riders coming up, and so we might get some prizes, some some surprises here and there. But I think uh, my predictions, it's definitely going to be uh, Gillum and Jacobson, uh, you know, against me mainly. You know, I, like I said, we'll, we'll have some surprises, but. I uh, I don't expect anything less than a win from myself and the team. Have you raced against PJ ever, like as a kid or anything? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've uh, he's not much, honestly. It might seem like I'm much older than him, but I'm not really. So <laughs> uh, we raced growing up. You actually raced my little brother more than more than myself, PJ, and we raced in the sport bike class together before in 2010, and then I think in tw 2009 too, maybe um but yeah we raced we raced together before and then uh did grand nationals together as a kid as well now a lot of people you know don't realize i mean they have to be in the know to realize that you did a lot of dirt tracking as a kid and and even after that talk a little bit about like it, who are some of the guys that you raced against on the dirt that that people would recognize today you know it's weird is yeah you know, i've grown up dirt tracking but as i got older i just completely stop so when i get back on a dirt track bike now i'm just complete squid you know it feels like something i mean it, it definitely i'm comfortable on it but i'm nowhere near as fast as what i was but um the wyman's the wyman's used to go out to grand nationals we have a handful of current flat trackers um uh who else blake young was out there when i was a kid um who else was out there i mean there's a lot of dirt trackers that came up with us that are you know pretty competitive we we 
Jesse Janis, all them like that are in the series already. Corey West, Corey West was out there. I remember I was on at Grand Nationals as a kid on an 80, and Corey West used to be just kicking butt on his uh, 125, and you still watch him. Like we're at Indianapolis Short Track, I forget what it was called, but uh, he was winning. I remember as a kid looking up to him because he's a few years older than me. I'm like, man, I want to look like that one day because he had such style, and uh, <laughs> he was he was hauling. And I, I think he won the Grand Nationals that year too. But there's there's definitely a handful of people that I've grown up flat tracking with. But I got out of it at a at a younger age and started supermoto and doing the mini road race and stuff. And you you raced at Lodi Cycle Bowl, right? Yeah, I, I currently still live five minutes less than five minutes away from Lodi Cycle Bowl. Wow, so that's crazy. I, and yeah, I picked up I picked up Suzuki, my new 450 Suzuki. So I'm gonna convert that into flat track. I think I'm gonna get, I'm gonna dabble into a lot more flat track this year. And I just motocross is just so dangerous, man. Just the littlest, the littlest thing can mess you up. So, and I live so close, and I never go ride at Lodi. So I'm gonna convert my 450 and do a flat tracker and go ride there a lot more often. All right, Bobby, I appreciate you chatting with us today. Um, I wish you the best of luck next year. It's, it, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you lost your real job and, and you get to keep what <laughs> is the best job. So we'll see you in the Moto America series. I'm excited to, to see how you do on the new team with the Suzuki and the Super Sport class. I, I expect good things from you. And, and it was nice having you on the, on the, uh, on the podcast this, this afternoon. So get back to your job there before, uh, before Danny starts uh, throwing the whip around. But again, thanks yeah. for joining us and, and we'll get together again soon. Pablo, it was nice to be on board. And uh, thank you for the kudos and everything. And uh, we'll be in touch. Sean, if you're there, it was nice uh, talking to you as well. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. You be safe. We'll talk later. Thank you. Cheers.